0: The Great Canadian
1: Talk Show. There's only a couple of watts, but I brought the truth to everyone within three blocks of the west side of campus.
0: No way. way. Yes way. And now, let's get right down to business with Marty
1: Gold. welcome to great Canadian talk show podcast this is Marty gold uh, this episode's going to be short and sweet I'm sort of cutting into the regular routine of uh, uh, episodes with, ha- with that have uh, you know two or three different segments uh, and as much as I'd love to talk about um, uh, about blockades at landfills and as much as I'd like to talk about wrongful convictions uh, which Dan Lett might have written the best story he's written in years uh, about uh, the The engineering of uh, supposed case review to shield uh, this was done by the NDP government, I think Gary Doerr may have been Premier, Dave Chomat was the Justice Minister, and they made sure that uh, particular prosecutors' cases weren't eligible for review and people were just uh, wrongfully convicted and treated horribly and I'd love to talk about that, I'd love to talk about 12 year olds with machetes Uh, I, 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 I know there's a lot of important things going on and there's Law, lost court cases of the Court of Appeal that reflect back on an earlier era uh, involving uh, Phil Siegel and all sorts of other characters. But I don't have time for that right now. Whew. I know there's lots and I will be getting back to Assiniboine Park and the Ten Commandments, Monuments. I'm going to have to put together one episode that just has a little bit of information about a lot of things. But I want to especially make sure that everybody understands that the court decision rendered uh, uh, by uh, a a judge that referenced John Orlico, the city councillor, and Orlico's protest that this is false, that what the judge said was false. My eyeballs are on it. I am going to have a guest, a former City Hall insider, to talk about this, but I felt it would be easier if I at least put this out so that people will be able to listen to this just have the basic understanding of what is a very complicated case, but what was done wrong in principle isn't complicated. What also isn't complicated is that it's no coincidence that the judge cited the involvement of Councillor Orlico, who was responsible for the Parker Lands, uh, it was in his uh, bailiwick, right, in his uh, in his uh, ward. The judge deciding that uh, two out of Four Winnipeg, City of Winnipeg employees, uh, bureaucrats being sued, uh, uh, two were off the hook, uh, two of a higher level were on the hook, and uh, they, it was cited that they were acting at the behest, the best, of John Orlico to slow walk the applications of GEM Equities and Andrew Marquez. Now, that is has become very complicated and there's been all sorts of court action and the city was found in contempt of court at one point for not holding a a hearing uh into an application by marcas i'm not even going to touch on any of that i just want people to understand the basics and that it's not so easy for anyone to explain how city council walked away from this at that last council meeting instead of at least setting in motion some kind of inquiries the individuals were aware their conduct was unlawful and likely to cause harm to the plaintiffs. They would change things on the fly, withhold information from the developer. So he's putting money into developing plans and all of a sudden, oh, by the way, we need some some land for a retention pond we're going to expropriate. Oh, by the way, we want to save the forest. And that in itself, that business has to be investigated. Oh, of, uh, because, you know, like people were coming up with ideas, with recommendations, with suggestions, with requirements that that had no weight whatsoever. You had two city officials abusing their authority. One way or the other, clear evidence. Both officials were acting at the best of River rights. Of Fort Gary Councillor John Orlico, so was written in the at, in CBC. Now, Councillor Orlico took a while to speak about this. And he said he was, uh, the, as Bartley Kivas tweeted, Arlico said he did not direct planners to slow the Fulton Grove development. He said he was blindsided by King's Bench Court justices' comments about him and calls them false. He's upset city lawyers never told him what was being said about him. My understanding was and still is there was no delay on my part. I had nothing to do with that. So that's the line he's taken. And city council, their attention, uh, their... um, uh, time energies devoted perhaps to other matters almost assuredly pressure about what to do with a the uh, proposed search at the landfill which is clearly a provincial matter and city council instead of paying attention to their own business was paying attention to things that really really aren't, like, the top of the agenda for them right now. Because the top of the agenda is that City Hall acts with integrity so that people with money, like Andrew Marquez, who I've never met and who I'm not a friend of, and I don't care one way or the other necessarily, but this guy got screwed over something fierce. I am looking at this case. I know you folks don't really have a chance to. You read the emails. This has been very hard for me, Orlico, uh, told the media. I do believe in ethics. I'm getting some pretty horrible emails. Well, I bet. I'm being accused of doing things that I never did. Hmm. Well, let me review briefly <clears throat> what Orlico did. I set aside these city employees. One is a former city employee. Another is a current city employee. I have been told that somebody who gets a check signed by the city of Winnipeg is going to be filing an appeal. And since John Orlico was, in effect, an unindicted co-conspirator, so to speak, not named as a defendant in this matter, uh, although seeming to be uh, to pulling the strings of some puppets, who ignored the warnings and the concerns of other employees in their department that what was going on in some instances was just against the playbook, dead wrong, unprecedented, not how they do things elsewhere, not fair. I leave aside the current highest levels of the administration, and have they been around this, these city bureaucrats for years and this has gone on on their watch? And I don't even get me started on Brian Bowman, because this was on his watch, the vast majority of the shenanigans and the tomfoolery. And current mayor, Scott Gillingham, he's trying to play the middle. He won't be able to play the middle for very long on this. I'm going to explain to you why Russ Wyatt, my dear friend, the city councilor of Transcona, when he said, when, uh, when asked about the fines linked to Oracle, Wyatt said, any response to that should be left up to the voters. No. It would only be left up to the voters if only the voters of River Heights were to be paying the legal bills that the city's incurred because of behavior involving uh, Councillor John Orlico. Uh, if they were the ones that are going to pay the... Uh, and and <coughs> if, in fact, as, as I said, John Orlico doesn't... Uh, he gets a check for the city of Winnipeg, but um, he does have standing case, which means it very well could be seeing Michael Robinson suing to try to restore his, his name. Uh, uh, not suing, appealing the case, rather. Well, who's on the hook uh, for that appeal? Who's paying that when you can be darn sure the city of Winnipeg? What happens if that loses? Why are taxpayers supposed to pay for malfeasance as found by the court of civic employees? And why should the voters of River Heights? This isn't their call. City Council is supposed to have ethics. City Council is supposed to have, and the integrity, did the integrity office find nothing wrong with what or- Orloco did? That stands starkly at odds with um, with the, what I read in the court in the court case. But of course, even in the court case, we see time and time again where there's references at least three times where there's emails referencing, here's a report on Fulton Grove on the land development, uh, but it wasn't included in the evidence. More than twice. I think it was three times. And this is startling. Like the city's misconduct in this from start to finish and in the middle of it, when they had tried to like rook this guy, out of land for the, uh, uh, out of land, I think, was for the retention pond, and it went to an, arbitra- to an, ar- an arbitration or, or whatever the process was, and I think it was George Elliott wrote a report the city they, like lied to this guy, that they were dishonest. When he went, he went straight to the senior administration, Andrew Marquez, said he was not treated in an honest manner. Who are these people that participated in it? How many people had their stomachs turned the way mine was turning, watching, uh, uh, reading these details? How many people left City Hall two or three or four months after these kinds of events, with their stomachs turning at, at the at, at what was being done, not just Andrew Marquez surely other developers, other, other private citizens trying to make their way in life and, and walked out with a settlement, and a non-disclosure clause what about those non-disclosures for anybody, let's say, planning property and development, city legal department, real estate division, I'm just picking some examples here, there's a lot wrong in this case and Russ Wyatt is wrong This cannot be left to the voters of River Heights. This is the responsibility of council because we expect them to enforce ethics, to enforce proper behavior, uh, to police themselves. John Orlico was not mentioned by accident in this judgment. His name is mentioned 101 times.
0: When you support The Great Canadian Talk Show, your donation makes sure that the investigations, the interviews, the fact-finding, the truth-telling can carry on. When you sponsor The Great Canadian Talk Show, You're telling the community that you think their stories matter. Our public affairs coverage continues to make a difference, challenging the slanted media narratives and giving a voice to the community. When you provide funding for the Great Canadian Talk Show, you're supporting old-fashioned investigative reporting that matters. Support TGCTS today.
1: The principle here, the court said, citizens must be able to rely upon the fact that their interactions with the public service will be governed by policies and principles that apply equally to all citizens accessing those services, while the duties of public servants includes elements of discretion, that discretion is to be exercised in a manner consistent with policies and within a statutory framework of the department they serve. A citizen applying for a permit or approval of a development plan is entitled to rely upon the fact that the public service and specialized employees, such as municipal planners, are acting within their statutory authority. And applying legislation and bylaws enacted by elected officials in a fair and consistent manner and not for improper reasons. At the very beginning, the package that Andrew Marquez was given, there was no indication the forest was be- to be preserved. The city intended to expropriate 6.7 hectares of land. Two issues became very significant as the case, uh, as the matter rolled on through the planning process, where they would throw these curveballs and deliberately not tell him. By the way, you're losing it. By the way, you're losing that. And as this went on, they started to pull all sorts of shenanigans, but it started early on where the planner involved in this sent an email to his supervisor, one of whom was Michael Robinson, one of the one of the uh, guilty parties, Is guilty the, the, the term that's used in this civil decision, one of the losing parties in this lawsuit of having abused authority. The planners send a message conveying a message from Oral to Planning, Property, and Development that, quote, the Parker Lands plan shall be approved as a secondary plan. That goes into all sorts of details that about how this was supposed to unfold. It was supposed to be led by the developer, and they they pulled the rug out from under him on that late in the day, too. The court slapped them butt hard for that. There's no rush to complete the plan. They never told anyone. Marcus that. He went through up to 14, I think, iterations. Imagine writing a plan 14 times, thinking that the city of Winnipeg is going to finally let you build some homes for people. And no public engagement shall take place before the civic election. And right there, that's where Russ Wyatt is wrong. That's where city council has got to pay attention to this. John Orlico, according to this note, and and this was not contradicted through the rest of the evidence, one of the things he did not want was for Parker lands to be a subject, in the civic election. No rush for public engagement, and Marquez was ready for it. He kept asking, why is this not going forward, etc., etc. I've been reading through this. John Orlico, according to evidence accepted by the court, tried to monkey around with our democracy. And all you ever hear politicians talk about nowadays is what? Democracy. This was repeated a couple of times, this idea. Don't want anything to come up before the election. And then he said, well, I don't think it's ready for consultation. In 2014, this one on Fears 2014, Marcus sent the planner an email asking about the process and saying, "Ask whether it was slowed down or stalled. Nothing's progressed for a long time. In October 2014, city officials were going back and forth and this planner emailed somebody and urged them to make the city's position on the retention pond clear as the city had not, at that point, conveyed its intention to expropriate land from the plaintiffs. So first, because you see what happens is people go to an open house, they look at the maps, they go, oh, what about this? What about that? Are you going to need a retention pond? What about the forest? You learn a lot at these open houses. They didn't tell the guy. About a month later, the planner emailed Orlico to advise they're wanting to to plan the use and development of park lands. Orlico almost immediately emailed the director of Planning, Property, and Development requesting they call him that same day. This planner emailed some of these other people, including Michael Robinson, he went on to reiterate matters decided at the earlier meeting that the planning shouldn't be should not be discussing the forest issue with Gemmed Equities. There is no rush for the master plan. No public engagement before the election. This was repeated to other people in the department. They all knew that this was the game. One of the emails was when should I, I about uh, about uh, who does the secondary plan? Who's responsible? And the planner wrote to another official saying, should I inform Jim Equities? Yes, my guess is Braden, meaning Braden Smith, the other employee carrying the bag on this. Changed his mind because of what Orlico said. And on and on and on and on it went. Why especially is there concern about Councilor Orlico? Because Councilor Orlico started getting into the middle of everything. The densities were too high, meaning these buildings were too high, even though optimal was eight stories. They wanted to restrict him. And then they wanted to cut it down to only three buildings, being over being six stories high. They wanted to cut the number of units from about 1,700, 1,800, 1,900, to like 700, and clearly make this not an equitable proposition for anybody gambling a gazillion dollars. Orlico indicated the densities were too high, the planning was premature, and affected the value of the expropriated land. And this became another issue. That John Orlico was worried that giving certain approvals would make the the land worth more that they were expropriating and cost the city more so that this guy's land wasn't worth more the city officials took repeated actions to suppress the value of his land in part so the city the land that they were expropriating wouldn't be worth as much and wouldn't cost can it get any more dishonest And Orloco came up with every excuse to not like what was going on at every stage. June 20, July 2015, I do not support the proposed development, the density, the lack of public space, the lack of connectivity, uniformity of density types area, traffic impact, lack of relation to BRT are just some of my concerns. Now, what did he say to the media? Well, they had a few concerns. He had dozens of so-called concerns. At one point, there was a peer review on this file after... A uh, Braden Smith, the uh, the chief planner, replied to Orlico. He replied to Orlico. following our recent meeting, of asked for a peer review. Nobody told the planner his work was being reviewed, and nobody told Andrew Marquez. Things were done in secret. One of the city officials confirmed on cross examination she'd never undertaken a peer review of a secondary plan. The planner, in testifying, was not told that there was a peer review of his work, and he presented to the court as somewhat offended or annoyed by this turn of events. Course he was. At one point, somebody tried to claim counselor input into the plan had been limited. Had been limited. Not really. They would meet with Andrew Marcus and not mention meetings with Orlico, not mention the peer review, not mention the direction given to the planner, Glendoni, to slow down. One day, while they're dealing with Andrew Marcus with the one hand, there was a meeting. Again, involving Braden Smith. First, he advises Marques of some things about open houses. And then Orlico has a meeting. Meeting notes express concern the city will get hammered on expropriation. Orlico is not pleased with what he has seen. I'll save you the trouble later on when Michael Robinson brings this up. Somebody is smart enough to say, that's not a planning issue. That's got nothing to do with, can this plan go forward based on those principles? Over and over and over again. Jem was obviously unaware of our direction to preserve a portion of the forest. They let this go on for years. The counselor appears to feel giving property rights to build above six stories would increase the value of their attention upon land, which is been valued as part of the expropriation. So there you have it. John Orlico, according to this, didn't want somebody's land value to go up because it was going to cost the city more on the expropriation they never told him about, never mind the other expropriation the city as Marcus descri- uh, described it we are not providing alternative designs until we have a meeting to understand the new declassification su- design, uh, system proposed yesterday in three years we discussed the park issues we've had three different classifications city put forward Uh, uh, put forward by the city in all of this. Now, I don't know why this surprises Councillor Orlico because anybody who reads this decision, I'm about to, to wrap this. They'll see there's a reason why his name comes up 101 times. Also, you should know the witnesses were not believed, the defendants were not believed by the court Robinson denied having any having had any concerns with respect to the input of the counselor. I do not accept Robinson's evidence on this point. This was after a memo prepared by another planner outlining his concerns was not filed as evidence at trial. So one of the not filing evidence ended up hurting the city's case, costing you money. Braden Smith never told John Kiernan, the department head, the professional regulator, or anybody else, the highest levels, about what was going on with this dilemma of changing the secondary plan and who was responsible and who would pay and what the process was. Former city official testified that when she was employed at, uh, at uh, PP&D, she could not recall ever having actively engaged with a city councilor during the planning process on a developer-led plan. That's extraordinary. The plaintiffs kept unaware these meetings were occurring. Orlico told Michael Robinson to keep one conversation uh, about their own land, to not tell them, keep it private. It appears the direction given or example set for the planners by Smith was to carry out the wishes of the councillor. Smith was frequently concealing the councillor's involvement while reporting to Jem that his sole purpose was to move the matters along to PPD. Jem was kept in the dark about the nature and extent of the interactions between various members of the public service and the area councillor. And at one point, over this, should we tell him about the forest? When he didn't bring it up, the planners deliberately, intentionally avoided the subject during the planning meeting. What's going on here? And then the best one, one of the planners that took over from the planner, they got rid of because he didn't like the slow walk. Was fabricating issues of the proposed secondary plan that should not have prevented the plaintiffs from advancing their plan to various committees for approval. City officials, former city official like John Wintrop, found greatly credible by the court in this. Whenever an issue arose that would likely have concerned the area councilor, a meeting would follow to members of planning uh, 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 development and Orlico, And following that meeting, action would be taken by the public service, which was consistent with the well documented interests and views of the councilor. In my view, wrote Justice McCarthy, it's no coincidence that after receiving an inquiry about the planning process from the expropriation department, a meeting was convened almost immediately with Orlico, and steps were taken by Robinson and Platt to limit densities and change the designation of the development. These decisions appear to have been made solely based upon the interest and direction of the area counselor. Limiting building heights at three stories is contrary to the early determination made by city planners. They try to interfere with a fill permit to try to slow this down. And so 101 times the name of John Orlico or Reverend, more than that, because Reverend city councillor, comes up. If the judge got something wrong, it's hard to figure out what went wrong since he said there was no rush, that was news to Andrew Marquez, that... This business about the secondary plan and how it was going to be developed, that was changed behind the guy's back. Forest was changed behind the guy's back with a bogus evaluation of 20 acres needed, which was garbage, absolute nonsense. The retention pond behind his back, the city act in a dishonest manner, and, and city council takes no action on any of this at their last meeting before they break for the summer. That's disgraceful, guys and girls. You're wrong. You're wrong. Councillor Orlico has to answer to this. Did he try to prevent a public engagement process to influence an election? You can't just say it's up to the voters of River Heights to decide. Eh, eh, eh. Because that involves other councillors and their positions on Parker lands and expropriations and their chair of different departments and where's the BRT line going to go and all that other stuff. Doesn't fly. I've given you a, a really brief, and I've gone longer than I wanted to, but this is essentially what's gone on. all sorts of things that don't go on with other plant with other plans, other planners, and Marquez, who I have never met and don't know he this was torture for him. They asked for seventeen million. I can see how a court would have given them seventeen million. This is egregious, and no, it can't wait for the next election. One of these officials was still employed by the city. Still a vice president of WAPSO as I understand it. So this has reverb that's going to continue to move on within the planning industry because they're all part of the same club but the only difference is who signs their checks. But as for Councillor Orlico and I have no beef with John Orlico directly but when he says I had some concerns but I didn't, Nope. His own emails seem to indicate otherwise, and he has to be held accountable for that through a hearing held by city council. And how many other development deals do we now have to start looking back at retrospectively to see whether councillors acted appropriate, whether planners acted appropriately or not, which developers are going to come crawling out of the woodwork now with their tales about that's exactly what happened to me. That's what they try to pull with my project. That's how, why my density couldn't be as big as it should have been under the rules. I will be having a guest on soon, a former City Hall insider, who well, will have more questions about this situation and more insight into how unusual this was uh, and cannot just be written off as, uh, no, i just doing what I usually do as a counselor. Hmm. So I'm going to stay on the case. We'll have more content, more stories, more opinion, more commentary, more break news about all the subjects that you heard at the beginning of the program. Please support our sponsors. And if you want to sponsor this program, if you want to make uh, contributions, uh, whether they're financial or otherwise, or if you're interested in providing uh, segments, and uh, being interviewed on the program, Marty Gold, live at gmail.com. Uh, you can uh, contribute through PayPal. Uh, the link is in the episode description. Uh, we'll be staying on this, particularly with our coverage of City Hall as well as the provincial election. Be staying on this this particular case. You're going to hear a lot more about uh, uh, what would you call this uh, this uh, this uh, scandal? Slow down gate because that's what they were doing. They're slow, slow, slowing down the gem equities. Slow down gate for now. Uh, gonna have more about this on episodes to come here with the great canadian talk show remember as always you have the power
0: if you have a story tip an interview idea or information the public needs to know let us know the great canadian talk show email marty gold at gmail.com tgcts old-fashioned investigative reporting that matters
1: Great Canadian Talk Show Podcast is brought to you by Midpoint Auto, vehicle sales at wholesale pricing. 1.99% financing on new cars, 6.99% financing on great used vehicles. Cars, trucks, vans, SUVs, that's not all. Off-road vehicles, campers, snowmobiles, dirt bikes, even boats. If you're in the market for something with an engine, then that's the place you want to go. MidpointAutomotive.ca. The phone number, 833-997-9930. Again, that's 833-997-9930. Midpoint Auto, bad credit approved, good credit rewarded. If you're a listener of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast, let them know by giving them the promo code. T-A-L-K, the word talk. That's the promo code, and you're sure to get a great deal from Midpoint Automotive.
0: Thanks for listening to the Great Canadian Talk Show. If you want to email Marty... Send it to TGCTS1 at gmail.com or follow him on Twitter at TGCTS.